All right, I've got a load of notes, man. I've got one. So do we. That's why I'm worried that this two, will, will three, take too long. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got ten pages, man. If I can be able to finish this. Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. Today we're going to be talking about a movie called Synecdoche, New York. This is a Charlie Kaufman film, not just written, but also directed. And it is from 2008. It's his first movie, isn't it, as a director? I believe so. Yeah, I liked his other stuff. I liked uh, I liked the stuff that he'd written before, like, um, what did he write before? Adaptation. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Being John Malkovich. Ah, Being John Malkovich, yeah. Also, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which he adapted from the Chuck Barris novel, apparently. So, a couple things about this movie. Uh, you like this movie. Yeah, I love this movie. I'm not a big fan. And I've told you that, and that's about as much as I've told you, because I didn't want to get into it. I wanted to save it for now. This movie is so kind of crazy, wild, different, that you and I could probably discuss this for hours, and we'll probably come back to it off air, I guess, in the future. But there are a few things I do want to talk about before we get into the spoiler section. So first off, we'll probably be mentioning some of his other films because I think that there are common themes and some other issues that might come up. They would be very, very minor spoilers, though. Nothing major. However, I would be very surprised if this was the only Charlie Kaufman film you'd seen. I do want to talk about the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? No. Okay, so I've watched this movie twice now to prepare for this episode, and I watched the trailer last night. Listeners... I'm not much of one for trailers because I feel like they give way too much away. This one gives away a couple things, but to be honest, you could totally watch it. But here's the problem. The first 30 seconds of a one-minute trailer were talking about the other films that he had written. (laughs) And then 30 seconds of just random stuff from this movie that kind of felt thrown in there. And that, to me, seems very much what this movie is. I feel like... Kaufman kind of earned a respect throughout his other works, and so now people were willing to go with him wherever he was set on this one. However, some people weren't. So I looked up some aggregate scores. IMDb at 7.5. Pretty good. Decent, but that's not really... I don't know. I feel like 6.9 to 7.5 seems to be where most movies seem to fall. So it's average. I would say. It's where a lot of the good ones fall too. It's where Triangle falls. Um, uh, it falls into that seven seven range. All the good ones on IMDb, I don't really That's care, fine. Care That's for. fine. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes, the critics, it's 68% and audience is 71%. That's still within, I guess, the red tomato territory. So I guess that's okay. Metacritic, it's 67 for kind of the super critics or whatever. And the regular users is an eight. But here's what I've noticed. And this is why I like Metacritic over the others is the fact that you, well, you do get a bit of this in Rotten Tomatoes as well, but I feel Metacritic is very good about showing you the variety of scores and why and in order. Rotten Tomatoes kind of mixes them up. It's not really in a particular order. So you can see that the user scores, for example, there are some that are 100 And then zero. And then the zeros, yeah. To me, it feels very divisive because to earn that score, they got 
some that were in the hundreds. People thought it was the perfect movie. People were saying things like, if I could give it a 15 out of 10, I would. It is as real a representation of an artist as possible. I think one even referenced it to being like a religion. And then you have people who are saying that it is ambitious and challenging, but it can still be tedious. That was about a 50 score. A lot of visuals with no substance. And uh, Kaufman is kind of looking at himself too much. This is too introspective. This is too much him in his own work, which is something that I probably will touch on a bit when we get into the spoiler section. I appreciate this movie for its originality, for trying to do something different, and certainly for the performance of Philip Seymour Hoffman. But this movie does what I really can't stand. I, I don't know if can't stand is the way to put it, but it's just not the type of movie I like because what it's done is it has made things, in my opinion, so abstract and the symbolism so in your face that it's really just more meant to be art and not really meant to be a movie. The story doesn't work for me. And I think that that is my biggest problem. I have others, but that is my biggest problem. And I will probably come back to that kind of again and again as we talk today. I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Do you think this movie's meant to be a comedy? Yeah, in a way. I think it's supposed to be... Well, I, I think it's the the kind of the, the, the wheel of... Uh, Everything is supposed to be a tragedy, a comedy. Um, it's, yeah, I think it, it kind of goes between both sides of the of that coin. Because I think, I mean, I think the whole movie is about life, basically. I understand what you're saying. Here's the thing: the first time, I didn't even think that there are absurd moments where, in some of the other films that he's done, that he's written, they came off as comedy and they made me laugh. There was something about that. I feel like if you're going to do an absurd film to get laughs. It needs to be more frequent and perhaps needs to be a bit self-aware that it's absurd. At least one of the characters needs to be a bit aware that it's absurd. So if you take, for example, the half floor from being John Malkovich, that cracked me up. And that was so ridiculous and obviously ridiculous. I felt like he was trying to do that sometimes in this one. I didn't even get to that until the second viewing and I still wasn't laughing. I don't think it's supposed to be. I, like, when you put it like that, yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be an actual comedy. I think there's parts where you're maybe, like, you find yourself not laughing out loud, but laughing inside going, yeah, I can I can relate to that, or, or yeah, that, that happens to me all the time. Just like the, the, the comedy of your normal everyday life kind of thing. Not something that you would be on the floor laughing about, yeah. Even then, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me. And we'll we'll get into why. I feel like the movie has a few too many mystery boxes that it doesn't really come back to or really answer. And I think that that's always going to be something that irritates me. It's a very rare movie that can throw those out there without giving me answers, and I don't feel irritated. I'll be interested to know what ones they are, because I think everything... Well, not it doesn't wrap up neatly, but the first time I watched it, I think I got pretty much everything from it. It's a fairly straightforward movie. It is, but there are just so many elements that are thrown in there. But it is art. I mean, I agree with you. That's why. That's why I like it. And if you see the, the the interview with Kaufman as well, even he himself has said like people are asking me what this movie is about, and he left it intentionally vague, or not intentionally vague, but he had, he left it intentionally with so many different threads pulling on it that there's almost it's almost like a, a combination lock. And this is part of my problem. But I think we need to get. Basically, we need to warn people now because we need to get into this movie. So, listeners, this is a movie where 
you could think it's okay, you could love it, you could hate it. I have no idea how to recommend it or even if I should recommend it. If you've seen other Charlie Kaufman films, it's very likely that you'll want to see this one if you haven't. Darren likes this movie. I'd say if you uh, if you if you read like books like like um, when I re- when I watched this movie, it reminded me of reading a Haruki Murakami novel. If you like if you like the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, I'd say this is not the Wind Up Bird Chronicle at all, but it's got a, a really similar feel to it, and I like that. All right. So last warning: you don't want spoilers. See you later. All right. So let's get into what you were just talking about before that how he left a hundred threads for people to follow. And that's a big part of my problem with this movie, but I didn't want to get into that in the spoiler-free section. There are just way too many main themes going on in this movie for any real story, I feel like, to emerge. There's just too much going on here. He's got major themes of, like, art and the creative process, the struggle with title and how to make a piece of fiction actually work, Time slipping away, which is probably the most... The biggest one. It's the biggest. It's also the most obvious and at times a bit annoying. How, again, this is one of those where it's kind of in my face and I I don't need it to be quite so obvious. I liked it right from the start, like from the opening credits. It's like the time thing is right there. Oh, yeah, it's definitely there, but that's... That's more subtle, at least. It's subtle in the first scene, but then it starts to become annoyingly obvious and kind of permeate everything. Uh, there's love, there's unrequited love, familial love of various kinds, death, obviously, disease, which spends a lot of time on disease, but it's also disease physical and also, I would say, mental, but not really... I mean, it's there, but I don't feel like that's really fleshed out. Like, that feels like a thread he kind of threw in there. What, the kind of hypochondriac part? Well, there are a few things, right? There's the hypochondriac part. There's the fact that he seems to be obsessed with Hazel at times, um, which I guess just her, but it seems like he gets obsessed with a lot of things. The time slipping away could also be part of other mental illnesses where they lose track of time or don't have touch with reality. There's a time where he says he needs to go help his daughter, his real daughter, even though he actually does have another real daughter. So there's definitely a kind of, there's definitely a lack of reality in his world, in Caden's world. Yeah, he's obsessed with himself, more or less. There's an issue of the world falling apart, both probably symbolically, but also literally. And there's also an issue of Caden works best being told what to do. And I think that that to me, is probably the most interesting thread. That's probably the most interesting and unique one. I do like that one, but it feels muddled because it's wrapped up in all these other things. And that, to me, is, like I said, probably one of my biggest complaints is this movie feels like it does too much and doesn't really cover any of them in a way that really feels satisfying to me. Well, maybe you'd liked it better if Spike Jones directed it. There's a very good chance I would have. And there is a part in here, I don't know if I'll remember to cover it later, but I did say a point in my notes where it feels like Caden is saying it would be better if somebody else had done it. I mean, throughout his early career, as we start, he's just directing plays that other people have done, which is something that Adele criticizes him for. But there is a kind of point where I felt like, is, is Kaufman saying that his work is better when other people take it over. 
And personally, after watching this one, I think maybe yes. But I've not seen his other directed movie, so... I don't, I don't think... Know. I don't know what else he's done. Has he done other ones? But I know that Spike Jones was actually the, the, going to be the director for this, and then he uh, pulled out at the last minute. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. I wonder what that would have looked like. I feel like this movie did need one more brain in there, one more mind to go, actually, there's way too much. This is going too far. Yeah. But that's me. You love this movie as it is. So I, I'm torn between not wanting to bash his movie and absolutely wanting to. I think part of the problem is having to watch it twice, kind of back to back. I watched it twice this week, and that may be too much in one week. But the thing is, I actually thought I would like it better the second time. You told me, just wait to see it the second time. You're going to see so much more than you did the first time. And the thing is, I didn't really. I maybe saw a few of the Easter eggs, we might say, that were thrown in there. But really, I was on this movie from very early on. And let's talk about that. So let's get into this movie. Uh, it opens up with some singing about Schenectady, not Synecdoche. So I really feel like this movie is meant to be there. Even the paper says it's from there. So this name of the movie must be some sort of clever play on words of some kind. I'm just going to let that one go unless you have... It does have a meaning. Yeah, it's got a meaning. It just means um, like part of something or something is part of a whole. It has a meaning. And that happens once later on in the movie when he's talking about psychosis and psychosis. That's the only other time that it pops up. Um, like, I have psychosis, not PSY. That's your mother, the crazy one. Um, but that's the only time that that kind of pops up in the movie. I don't really understand what he's getting at with that, other than, well, as you'll see later, the play. Like, it's a small part of his life that's actually a bigger part of, well, everyone's life. Or everyone's life is a small part of this life in the movie. But yeah, I think that's as far as it goes. I don't, I don't think it's super clever, but it's, it's, it's there. And it is what it is. All right. Unfortunately, I've got like five pages of notes and you've got like 10. So we're going to have to book through it. Yeah. Um, I do want to spend a bit of time on the opening scene, though, because I feel like this is where a lot of things get set up. We hear Olive singing and then we see her on the toilet and her mother, Adele, makes reference to the fact that her poop is green. Olive gets really upset about the fact that her poop is green. Olive is a super cute. <laughs> She's such a cute kid, man. <laughs> I love her voice. It takes more than that. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with Olive. I have a real problem with kind of everything they've done with Olive. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to. I mean, you're supposed to... I think you're supposed to hate this family, apart from Olive. Um, she's a victim of all this. She is, but at the same time, so is Caden, in a way. Uh, is he? I don't know. Anyway... That may be a much bigger topic. Yeah. I think the thing is... Ugh, God, this movie is going to be a nightmare to talk about. Okay. I was worried about her poop being green. I bring this up because poop is a major thing throughout the whole movie, and so is urine. Yeah. Caden becomes obsessed with what color things are. At one point, it's gray. I, I really don't want to hear about people's poop. I really don't. Don't care about this. I'd really rather move on. I think there's probably symbolism here. I don't want to think about it. But we're going to hear about it over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so creepy when that guy's just peeking over the stall. He's like, I've never seen it gray before. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. Caden says he doesn't feel well. Adele doesn't really seem to care. He gets a magazine about 
illness that's addressed to him. And it is somebody wearing the oxygen mask that he's going to be wearing later on in the film. And across the street is Sam. And the thing is, this is probably one of the things you thought, oh, you're going to notice this the second time, but I noticed this the first time. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, uh, no, that's not what I'm talking, I'm talking okay. about. I'm talking about the actual things that you would have to pause on screen to look at and, and maybe even Google. Like I think the problem is I was watching it in a way where I could rewind it. So even the first time, there were a few things that I probably noticed early on. But the guy, I mean... You, I mean He's I so creepily staring across the... I just street. referred to him as Creepy Larry David... Do you know who he actually is, the actor? Um, I've got no idea. Like, he looks like, yeah, he looks like Larry David. Actually, he looks like Larry David, a cross between Larry David and a tall Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> he's got that face. He's got, he's got, um, he's got his face. Such <laughs> <laughs> an odd combination. Okay. The one movie I would say that you would recognize him from is Robocop 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Uh, what was his name? Kane. Kane. Yeah. Oh, man. He looks at a paper, which says October 14th, 2005. And there's an article about Harold Pinter's death. Harold Pinter was famous writer, playwright. Olive asks for something other than oatmeal, kind of demands it, and then asks for cartoon, where there's this weird sheep cartoon that we're going to see later. He complains... That the milk is expired, but it's only October 20th. Ah, but now the paper that he looks at now says November 12th. So time is slipping away already. This, I wasn't sure about the first time I watched it. It all seemed weird. It all seemed like there was something important. So I think that's what clued me into the next scene. But at this point, I wasn't aware yet that this was going on. The time was slipping away. The sink goes crazy and gives Caden essentially a concussion, rips his head open. Yeah. And they end up having to go to the hospital, get stitches. His eyes aren't dilating properly, so he's told he needs to see an ophthalmologist. They get into the car, they go home, and Auld Lang Syne is playing. And I thought, that's awfully odd for November. Right. And this is part of where I start to feel like this time issue is taking over the movie a bit, but also being a bit too in my face. They haven't really, at this point, established anything. You could have watched all the way through this and not really understood that time was slipping away yet. And so I guess is to be the alert, is to be the alarm. Hey, time is slipping away, but it just feels out of place. I didn't feel that at all. I just felt that that was um, like the, the director's way of showing kind of routine and stuff is just so boring and dull that they're doing the same things. It doesn't matter if it's October, November, December. It's just, they're just going through the motions of, I want oatmeal, I want I want jam and bread. You know, it's like reading the newspaper, I, going through the obituaries, re- watching the same cartoons. Not the first scene. This bit in the car with the song. Mm. Well, even, even then, it's like, it's still just the humdrum of daily life. Like, the time thing later, yeah, when it's like years, absolute years are going by. But here's yeah. my problem. Did he get injured in November and he's just getting it looked at now in December? This is where it starts to just take over so much that there's no logical point. Yeah. They don't get the sink fixed then for months after he got his head hurt. Yeah, because if you look at the way that the doctor looks at him, he's like, because he's like, thank you for seeing me so soon. And the doctor's like, oh, I think you need to go and see a neurologist, you know, because he's like, the doctor is obviously like, it took months for me to get you booked in for this or something like that. You know, it's like the doctor gives him a weird look like, huh? 
Did you not notice that? Or did you see that? Every doctor in this movie is portrayed as being weird. I'll get into that later for sure. Like, there's something... This is where the the movie Onion Layer starts to peel back. Like, something... The doctors are a dead giveaway for a plot a point in this, like... Okay, that's fine. But I don't think you can really say that because all the doctors seem weird. They're they're inept. They're 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 they're, act- they're bad actors. Okay, I'll give you that. The ophthalmologist recommends a neurologist, saying the eye is part of the brain. And Caden <laughs> says, "I'm not sure if that's particularly true." <laughs> and I don't. There's just so much confusion about what's really going on here. The calendar does say 2006, so this is where I was aware that. Time has flown by because I was very aware that the first paper said October. So even the first time around, this is where I went, all right, yeah, something's going on with time. But in a way that, again, to me kind of feels a bit dumb. It just doesn't work for me. All right. So let's, let's, Caden is directing Death of a Salesman. And that movie originally had, uh, what was it? Dustin Hoffman when it was the movie version, but it had been a play for a long time before that. And, this is something that really bothers me about this one in that he's apparently praised for casting young actors in a role that's meant for older people. But isn't Death of a Salesman often played by somebody young playing somebody older? I've got no idea because I've never read it or seen it. Ah, okay. Yeah. But this play is all about death and time slipping away. It's basically this movie, but with a more coherent storyline. Okay, that would make sense. And it kind of irritates me that it's so in your face. And I feel like he's done that a lot in this movie. The Shakespeare quote that you talked about already, this play, which is basically saying this is what the whole movie is about. Don't reference better things. Yeah, than I, I would have no idea because I've never seen it then. So that, that totally just went over my head completely. But the guy playing the main actor in that play, like he's the guy that looks like that guy from the other movie. The one with the like, time travels in the morgue drawer. Like, he looks like him, yeah? Adrian Brody. That's right, yeah. From the jacket. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like him. It's not him, though, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he's such a bad actor, though, that guy. Even at the end of the movie, he's like, no one walks like that. <laughs> he's trying to walk, like, really stiff as a board. Um, I think he was walking normally. And yeah, then once yeah. he got the note, then he couldn't walk he couldn't normally walk again. Yeah. But I love how you... Yeah, I was I was crashing differently. I was crashing ambivalently. <laughs> what does that even mean, man? Uh, see, that's the thing. You're laughing at that. It just washed over me. Oh, uh, see, yeah, that's yeah. I don't think the first time I laughed ever in this uh, movie, and that's that's kind of a problem. But we'll we'll get to that. Let's talk about Hazel. Yes, Hazel's very important, but she doesn't seem to be so at the beginning. She works the box office. Caden says he's trying to get a cell phone signal. She says the signal is good in the booth with her. Kind of flirty, like, coming here. Caden either is oblivious or trying to ignore it, walks outside. He has a therapist session in which Adele says she fantasizes about Caden's death, getting a fresh start. That's quite funny as well, that, that therapist. I was thinking, I know her, and I do know who... I don't know her name, but... She's, 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 I've been watching a lot of Home Alone with my daughter. Oh, yeah. She's the ticket salesman, like the French ticket salesman in the airport from Home Alone. I think that's probably her first credit on IMDb <laughs> as well. How is it? Yeah. <laughs> of, <laughs> of all the things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hazel is reading the trial. She's flirting 
with Caden. And this is something I didn't notice the first time. Sam is watching from behind a tree. I somehow missed that the first time. She basically instructs Caden on what to say, how to flirt. And this is the first taste we get of this. He works better when he's told what to do, or he feels more comfortable being told what to do. A very odd trait for somebody who is a director. Here's where the plumber arrives, and this is where it drives me a bit crazy. This is a bit like... Did you ever watch Downton Abbey? No. Mm. The problem, at least one of the problems I had with Downton Abbey, is the fact that time goes by very quickly, but they still try to maintain certain storylines. So, (laughs) as David Mitchell put it in one of his YouTube soapboxes, there's a point where somebody is asked out on a date and gets a reply seemingly months later, because they're trying to rush through time, but still keep some things to seem like normal timing. And this is one of those problems. The plumber comes, but he must have been six months later at this point. Well, maybe he is. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just left a broken sink and because Caden is just so apathetic and so wrapped up in his own business that he didn't even call the plumber. And that's why Adele hates him, you know? She's just married to this loser that she disgusts her. Uh, if it bothers her that much, I think she could have called for the plumber herself. Yeah, she could have, but she's also wrapped up in herself too, isn't she? She's very wrapped up in herself, and that's what I get a lot of. He comes down to urinate in the sink because he doesn't want to pee in front of the plumber. He's got very dark urine. Yeah. And he says he has a ton of lighting cues. He's always making things complicated. Adele says she can't come to his show, even though it's opening night, because she has two canvases to finish. Yeah, uh, boop. <laughs> tiny little things. And this is one of those things that I think is meant to be funny, these tiny canvases. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's supposed to be comedy. Is it not? I don't, I don't think so. Because, I mean, the thing is, if you look at it, he's making things that are so, so, so huge, and she's making things that are so, so tiny. I think they're just meant to be total opposites, contrast each other. And there could be all kinds of symbolism about how much art is worth or i mean there's it's part of the thing with this is i feel like things have been left so abstract that there's no real message so i feel like you can attribute this however you want those who love paintings might say oh this is how little they're respected in the world and those who don't like paintings could say yeah this is how much they're really worth in the real world kind of what banksy demonstrated with his Mm auction destruction and that's a problem for me i feel like you should pick a side especially in something that feels like such a major theme in this because art whether it be as play or her art or the tattoo art seems to play a major major role in the movie without really having any substance does that make sense yeah, or am yeah. I just no no i mean I, I i understand what you're saying but i yeah i just took it as they're polar opposites like he wants to, he's making things that are t- too big that they're out of his control. She's making things so small that she can't see what's right in front of her, kind of, in her d- daily life. That's as far as I took it, man, pretty much. All right. Caden has a headache. Claire kisses it. They're making it very obvious that Claire likes him. I don't know why so many women are fawning over him. Hazel offers weed, but Caden turns it down because it, he says that it will make him horny. At home, we see Adele. She stayed up all night. And with her friend Maria, who from now on will play a major role in the entire story, clearly stoned. Yep. And I don't know. I just feel like they're trying to show us that Adele doesn't really care about Caden and Carrie, and she cares a lot about Maria. Do you think Maria is her lover at this point? Oh, I didn't even think about that, man. 
uh, to be honest. I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought they were just friends, but yeah, there's probably that could be a thing. But yeah, I didn't think about that. It's probably not important then. I thought that right away, and I thought that's why she didn't love him, and they were going to lead into that, and they didn't really, because Adele will end up with two husbands. Yeah, later. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Apparently the play got great reviews, again, for casting Willie and Linda with young actors. Adele says her opinion doesn't really matter. Maria agrees it's only your artistic satisfaction. That's the only thing you need to strive for, Caden. Okay, I guess. Is there something more? I mean, once you get to the end, then, yeah, that thing, that, that becomes, you know, the, the metaphor for life is like, life is what you make of it. Uh, and that's what I think this movie's about. So what she's saying is pretty on the nose. You know, it's, it's it, uh, he's talking about a play, but as we travel through the movie, we realize it's about life. And yeah, life is what you make of it. Stop wondering what other people are judging you by and you know just get on with your life and 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 do it which is exactly what Caden does not do until the very last moment of the movie before he dies um does he though yeah he does yeah he manages to have sex with a woman without crying for the first time <laughs> you know i mean it's uh, uh he manages to finally live a little bit at the end i, I felt anyway uh hazel buys a house that's on fire yeah this bit, I think they should have cut. Like it's like uh, it's a little bit too much now. <laughs> and this is where I really started to lose it the first time. If you're going to make an absurdist comedy, then you make an absurdist comedy. If you're going to make something very serious, you don't throw this kind of absurdist bit in here. And this part made no sense to me. The house on fire. I will say the second time there was a bit of dialogue that I didn't catch on to the first time, which seemed weird. She basically says that she's not really sure she wants to buy this house because it's on fire. And the realtor says something along the lines of, well, how many people get to choose the way they die? So it seems a bit of foreshadowing now having seen it all the way through, but it's just weird and absurd and it isn't funny. I guess that's part of my problem is I keep feeling with the absurd moments that he's trying to capture the ideas that Brazil did or some of the other movies that have been... I don't know, the the Spike Jones-directed ones seem to work at throwing these absurdist things in, making reference to them, pointing out how ridiculous they are. But in this world, they just seem like they happen. They're part of the world. And they don't seem absurd because the whole world seems absurd. This is also the scene where divorced son of the realtor, Derek, is introduced to Hazel, will become her husband. Yeah, who I couldn't see very well. At the beginning, I was like, is that the guy from Firefly? <laughs> I'm not even going to go into that one. The next scene is Linda in Death of a Salesman at the graveyard. She says she can't cry, but she does. This kind of leads later into Caden not being able to cry, so he has to sprinkle... Tear supplements, whatever it's called, yeah. <laughs> the house is paid off, we're free and clear. I kind of, again, feel this is a bit too much on the nose for the whole thing. Like, this seems to, again, be the message for the whole movie, or a message that could be taken for the whole movie, but it's a bit too in-your-face. Adele criticizes Caden for putting on other people's plays. Why aren't you making your own stuff? But she doesn't really seem to care about his work anyway, so... I think it's just she's just having a dig at him, yeah. It's just like... Yeah, that's what I took from it, and that's part of why I just get really irritated with her. I don't understand her or why he loves her 
at this point. We're not really given that. At home, now there's another cartoon, and this is another one that's just kind of in your face. It's obviously Caden sitting with... Talking to a dog. That's eating the sheep, I think, from the earlier cartoon. And there's a clock that comes up, I think, from the smoke. And Larry David, creepy Larry David in the background as well, behind a tree. Yeah. I kind of appreciated that part of it. But otherwise, it's just don't don't tell us what we're supposed to see. If we're supposed to think on our own, if this is supposed to be art that's supposed to represent something we're supposed to see in ourselves, don't shove it in my face. And this cartoon very much felt like, you need to see what's going on here. Don't you get it? And I found that so irritating even the first time, but so much more the second time. Though I did appreciate the Sam being creepily in the background (laughs) because that happened a lot more than I realized the first time. And probably I haven't even caught every time that he's in the background. Is that the little little snail from Adventure Time waving in every episode? Is there? Yeah. I haven't noticed There's only one episode, I think, that doesn't have the snail. What's worse is in the cartoon, he's in a wagon that has his surname on it. It's a cotard wagon. It's just too much, too, too much. He's being pulled by a cow, which I think you could have implications to things later. Boy, I hope not. (laughs) The paper now reads May 25th, 2006. Adele wants to take Olive to Berlin alone, and Caden is obviously upset. It's only supposed to be a month, but even that is a long time. Here's the part where they go to school. You have something you want to say about this? Yeah, I mean, so you notice that um, she says, like, Daddy, what's that in your face? You know, and he tells her it's psychosis, not the crazy one that we discussed earlier. But later on, and again, we don't really know with the passage of time, because we don't know how much time has passed, but different parts of his body... And I don't know if this is a continuity error in the movie or if it's done on purpose, but those boils from his face have disappeared. And it's almost like when other people are looking at him, they're not seeing him and they don't see anything wrong with him. Olive is the only one that actually loves him, I think, in this movie properly, like a child, a childish, like innocent love. And she sees him for what he is, for all his faults and all his good parts as well. And she notices who he is um, because I noticed that. Yeah, she takes the time to actually ask him, like, what's that on your face? She's the first person to actually care about him um, in a way that's not selfish or... Because every, everyone, all the girls that you're talking about, like, why are all these people attracted to him? The, the, they're only attracted to him because he's the director or he's someone semi-famous. Or Hazel's only attracted to him because she's got such a low self-esteem on, her, on herself. Um, and... Does she, she though? I think so. Oh, yeah, I think so. Because I mean, the like, way she kind of commands him around doesn't feel like someone who's got low self-esteem. But that's often the case, though, isn't it? With someone that has, like, the the, the bully, the classic um, psychology of the bully is someone with no identity removing the identity of others. Um, so, yeah, no, I think she fits that perfectly. As Adele's packing, she says, the more you get to know someone, the more you, they disappoint you. And this becomes a, another giant theme in the whole movie where... The more he gets to know someone, he doesn't really care about them anymore. The more people get to know about him, they don't care about him anymore. People just stop caring about people. Metaphor for getting old, isn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't even have to be about getting old. I'm I'm watching this movie and I'm 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 drawing all these parallels. Like, I mean, that's why I like this movie. Like, because when when just like as you said that, it's like, wow, that's that's quite. I'm not saying it's the most philosophical revelation I've ever had in my life, but it's like I can relate to that. You know, it's like. You have all these, when you're in your your teens and your 20s, you're really tight with people. You get older, you get married, you have kids, you start to drift. 
And then no one really cares about you anymore. You're just something and you, you're focused on your children or your family or yourself. And But I don't think that that necessarily works. You think the more that you get to know your daughter, they're going to disappoint you and you won't care about them anymore. I'm not going to say that, but I'm not going to go on record and say that. But, um, it's but this, is, this is the thing. Basically trying to say that nobody can really care for anyone very long. According to him, then, 100% sure that there are people like that, yeah. And some of that is in all of us. Like, we, we all share certain kind of common parts. Like, we're not, we're not all, uh, what do you call it? We're not all sociopaths, but, you know, we have maybe little bits, you know, that dark sides to each of us that we don't like to admit. At Home Alone, Caden is in Adele's studio. He sees himself in an ad in a parachute where, oh, sorry. First, he sees himself in the ad for the pills, where he's kind of that happy picnic-y kind of thing. Then there's another ad where he's kind of in a parachute, but he's being attacked by sea creatures. Yeah, he falls into the ocean, his parachute doesn't open. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree with you on those parts. Those, those TV ads should all have been cut because it almost is like the movie is starting to think it's smarter than what it is. And it's like, yeah, like, oh, we really pulled the wool over your eyes. Like, check out all these. It's like, come on, man. It's not. You don't pull the wool over our eyes if you're telling us about it all the time. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something, but I can't because it's a spoiler for another movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he has that fit. Is that where he has the fit? This is where he goes obsessive cleaning. So the whole place was covered in paint, and then he starts getting rid of the paint with his toothbrush, and then he starts scrubbing the whole thing until it's spotless. Every last bit of paint is gone. But then his gums are awful, and then he has to get them worked on. He has to get Dental, surgery like done. gum surgery. Gross. We see the therapist. He's now on his own. She has this sore on her foot, which is very prominently shown to us. I noticed that. Really it's like, I, I, I made a note here. Like, why are her shoes so tight? It's like they're they're strangling her circulation. Like her she, her ankles and like around her the top of her toe, they're all bruised and stuff. Yeah, I, I I don't know what's going on with that at all. She sells him her book. He sees himself in an ad for that book on the internet. So you could say that he's seeing himself everywhere. Or that he only sees stuff as how it relates to him. I don't know. There's all sorts of meaning you could give to it. I'm not going to do it. It's there, and I think a bit too much. Yeah, agreed. He tries to call Adele. She can't hear. She says she's famous for no apparent reason, and she's at a party. <laughs> I'm famous! Oh, okay, why are you saying that on the phone to somebody you don't even know who it is? She's high, I think, as what? Yeah. Oh, Okay. This is where he has the seizure. And as he's in the hospital, he looks at an L magazine where there's a whole article about Adele and how famous she's become. And in it, there's a quote, I only want to be around joyous people, which is clearly not him. Yeah. But even the, 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 the part before that where there's the little, the little blurb on the, 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 at the head of the article, I, I find it weird. Like, why is she called Adele Lack? Like, was that, that must be her kind of given name. Um, or she never took his name. Um, it's very possible. Um, but yeah, I just love how it's like, uh, Adele Lack was an un underappreciated housewife stuck in a dead-end marriage to a slovenly, ugly-faced loser. She had big dreams for her and her four-year-old daughter, Olive. That's uh, when her paintings get small. I was like, her paintings were already small. <laughs> so again, there's all this messing, yeah, mud muddling of time here. Um, but even this hospital, 
This is where it's like the doctor's spouting all this weird jargon. And the hospital itself, don't you think it looks like backstage? It looks like... It doesn't look like a hospital. There's also a really bad marking spot. So if you wanted to go with your play, he walks beyond the doctor's door. And then the doctor calls out to him so he realizes he's gone past his mark. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll give you that one. That otherwise makes no sense to me. I never understood why the nurse is leading him on to a place beyond where the doctor's office actually is, unless he wasn't actually supposed to see that doctor. So I found this scene completely confusing. I had no idea why they did that, which would play into your theory, I think. And I did have that theory at one point, but the ending kind of ruins that for me. But I guess we'll get to that at the ending. The doctor at this point says weird things about him going to lose ability to build saliva and cry and... He basically has to re-bioengineer himself, which leads into the weird bit with Hazel and Caden going out and he's doing this thing where he's building saliva at one point. Trying to eat this soup is the most disgusting thing ever I've seen on television, man. That really made me want to puke for some reason. I mean, and I think it's supposed, to, it's supposed to revolt you. It has to. That's the only thing I... That's the only reason I can have. It, it just baffles me <laughs> that this is the thing you're so disgusted by when he was, like, playing with his poop with a spoon earlier in the movie. <laughs> uh, was he? I don't remember that part. Maybe I looked away at that point. There's definitely a point where he's doing that. Okay. I'm going to block that out of my memory. Hazel and Caden go on a date. She references the fact that it's been a year since Adele has called. Caden says it's only been a week. She says, I need to buy you a calendar. Time is slipping by ridiculously fast now because now it's a year. So as you would expect, Time slipped by a little bit at first, but it's going to get bigger and bigger to the point where we have no idea. And there's another point coming up where it just baffles me how much time has passed. But we'll get to that. She rips up her napkin, takes it home, scraps for the scrapbook, which we will see later. And at her place, they have sex, but he cries and they don't actually finish. And this is what ruins kind of their relationship for a very, very long time. She can't get over it. She can't let him forget about it. This is the part with the diary. I so, wasn't, wasn't that far off. I guess. It just feels so far off. <laughs> Adele sends him a weird message saying, don't read Olive's diary. She doesn't want you to read it. She accidentally left it and tells him exactly where it is. He doesn't actually read it at this point, but he will a lot. And of course, as he's reading it, it goes far beyond what the four-year-old ever could have written and becomes what's going on in his head. But what's going on in his head, we find out actually is reality. So I don't like the diary bit <laughs> at all. Uh, we'll get to it, though. So he gets a MacArthur scholarship, a genius scholarship with loads of money. A apparently infinite money all the money in the world except that at some point he references they have budgetary concerns which i don't see how they possibly could yeah. that budget lasted 17 out. years at least that's the part that bothered me the most about time <laughs> makes no sense but we're we're not too yeah that, that's right at the end yeah it's not even <laughs> that's like halfway he's talking to his therapist about this at first and she comments that it will be about self-discovery. Here's another point where I feel like Caden is waiting to be told what to do. He doesn't really know what to do. Even the words he uses to describe what his play is going to be are the words that were used in the letter telling him about the MacArthur Scholarship. 
So he doesn't really know what he wants it to be. She says, oh, it will be a great self-discovery. And thus, his entire play becomes about himself. She also points out this little winky novel <laughs> that a four-year-old wrote that is about somebody who's a racist clan leader in the porn industry. Yeah. And that's that's where I went the second time around. Is this supposed to be funny? Because I'm not laughing and I don't see why it's here. It's just odd, that part. It's just weird. Why do I have the Oh, the four-year-old apparently killed himself. Caden says, why? Therapist says, why did you? Caden says, what? And she says, why would you? Yeah. This dialogue seems so ridiculously out of context. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, uh, I wrote something down about that too. It was, um, I don't know, I think it was almost like it was thrown in just as a red herring. Like, oh, is he really dead? Or, like, you know, is just like, is he in limbo? Which is possible. But, again, it's not not my personal theory. But it felt like it was just something they put there intentionally to mess with you, but didn't have any real substance behind it. In a movie that feels like that's all it is, there's just one more mystery box for me that I didn't need. I don't need a red herring in a movie that's already so ridiculously convoluted and hard to follow and things are happening in a way that is illogical the little winky novel the bits on the television um that and even maybe even the part where he's reading the book on the plane and it goes blank like i think yeah just get rid of that stuff the movie is good enough as it is it doesn't need these extra little kind of red herrings thrown in to put us off like i'm having fun watching it don't don't overcomplicate it and throw in even more stuff the play is going to be in new york He's shown a huge warehouse that's really fallen apart. It doesn't seem to have... It's like an airplane hangar. And it doesn't seem to have a complete roof. So she references that other plays took place here, and I don't believe that at all. And he said, oh, yeah, I can see it. Like King Lear. It's a very weird concept. But here is the Charlie Kaufman kind of weird abstract that is what we've expected. There's going to be a warehouse within a warehouse within a warehouse. The whole thing gets a bit out of hand, but that's kind of the point is this art gets a bit out of hand. Just in case the sound is a little bit different, we are now recording in a different location. The first time we sat down to record this episode, we didn't have enough time. So here we are trying to finish up and hopefully quickly, because again, we don't have much time. <laughs> this may be... And it's quite funny because this movie's all about not having enough time. Uh, this episode may be the recording that never ends. <laughs> All right. Let's try to pick up with where we left off, which I believe was him being shown the warehouse for his play. He wants the play to be in New York. He's shown this ridiculously huge warehouse in which... Bom- like it, a bombed out air shelter, or not air shelter, like hangar bay. It's falling apart. No one would ever choose this. Not the best CGI either. She asks something, or I think he asks if a play has ever been held here, and she's like, oh yeah, many times, which I don't believe for a second. The whole thing is just ridiculous. And this is another time where I kind of think it's meant to be absurd and funny, but it didn't make me laugh. It just seemed out of place and weird to me. He offers Hazel a job. This is the part where Caden is doing the weird salivating and try to do his biofeedback training, which... You didn't like it. It grossed me out, man. It really did. He cracks into Olive's diary, and he starts to read it, and the one thing he finds out is that her favorite color is pink. So he goes to a toy store and gets her a pink box, 
that says nose on it. It has a picture of a nose. And he thinks this is okay? I just thought that was the packaging. I thought that he could actually put something inside it. I, 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 but you don't see him actually buy any anything else. Yeah, it's just like, she likes pink, so he gets her a pink cardboard box with a nose on it. Like, yeah, that's a bit strange. But I thought that was just going to be, yeah, the packaging. And he would put, you know, a stuffed bear inside it or something. Or It doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way. Yeah, so Caden is like, yeah, father of the year material then. But what toy store doesn't have something in pink? <laughs> I don't know. There's toy stores in, in New York. And we'll see him carrying another package to the post office later, which makes me think he just keeps sending the same thing over and over again or something equally ridiculous. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't get what they were going for there. If your claim is just to show that he's a bad father, okay. But we didn't get that from before. When he was walking her to school, it felt like they had a decent relationship, actually. Exactly, yeah. Although, when I think about it, maybe it's one way. Maybe it, the, the relationship is, all of to him, is decent. She, uh, He's her father, she looks up to him. Like I said earlier on, like she sees him for who he is and actually takes notice of him. Whereas, at the same time, all he's doing to Olive, really, is talking about himself again. Like, here's all my problems um, and your mother's crazy, and he doesn't really, never asks Olive about herself, really, in that scene. So, perhaps it's a, one, a one-way street, and yeah, he's not, he isn't dad of the year, but... Perhaps, but this is another problem with having too many themes and too many things going on in one movie. Yes, maybe he doesn't, but we don't really get enough time to truly evaluate how he is as a father. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And, like, the thing as well is what we were talking about before that I meant to mention was, like, when we were talking about the art and how her art is really small and tiny and minuscule and his art is huge and fills a, an airplane hangar. But yet, her character isn't really the polar opposite. Like, you know, you'd think, oh, they're going for her attention to detail and her kind of um, precision and her, you know, her focus. But she's also a slob, like him, pretty much. And yeah, it's like, if you're going for something, kind of, I, I felt like they should have seen that through to the end or taken it explored those characters maybe that's a bit maybe i'm being cliche and they are doing that on purpose like oh you think it's that but it's not we see the cast in a room that's ridiculously tiny for the number of people that are there they're listening to his words and his idea but it still seems very unfocused there's an awkward hazel and derek date i guess it's their first date or maybe it's not we don't know but claire walks in and so there's this awkward meeting between Claire, Caden, Derek, and Hazel. And it leads to Claire talking about what kind of character should I be? Maybe I should be like that Hazel. And Caden's like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And then it gets even a bit weirder because Claire is here. And so she'd been to the rehearsal that day. She's come out to have a drink with Caden. And then we find out her mother died the night before. Yeah. It seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, um, yeah, my mother died last night. And again, I've, I've asterisked this in my notes as another kind of bland scene with bad acting. And I, again, I think, but I do think that's done on purpose. Um, it's, it's, it's very kind of almost just, yeah, again, I'm using this word a lot now. It's very cliched acting, very hammed acting. It was cringy to watch that. And I think, I'm hoping that's on purpose, because if it's not, then, well... But, I mean, the thing is, she acts well in other scenes. I'm pretty sure that's on purpose. And it's, again, 
pushing forward this theme of your life is just a series of events in a in a grand stage and some of it is played well and some of it is played pretty bad you know we do we we all we all do cringy things but also i think it would tend to reveal her character as well if there is truth to that and if this is really happening you know she doesn't really care about her mother dying it's almost like she's faking this oh like she's really sad but she's not she's out for a drink the next day and she doesn't really seem to be phased by it so she's not the best person either seems like Caden has just surrounded himself by scumbags the more you describe this the worse it sounds to me (laughs) i mean if your theory is correct and i do think that it's a solid theory I like it. I like the way that it supports through what I think are a lot of the weaknesses in the movie. I do think this may be you filling in the gaps for them and making them a much better theory about what the movie really is than what it is. (laughs) So I'm just going to lay that out now so that I'm sure that it's been said. I don't believe that theory. Okay. But it would at least make it better. I think if you were going for that, then it should have been more clear. But this doesn't help me like it. Because I have a real problem with movies that are set up to be bad acting. Waiting for Guffman, I should have liked it because I like so many of the other Christopher Guest movies where he does that style. But setting up a movie about people who are just bad actors is not appealing to me. Movies that know they're going to be a bad movie and kind of look at the camera and say, isn't this a terrible movie, doesn't really work for me. So, doesn't help, is what I'm saying. (laughs) If that's the case, I'll appreciate it for them trying that, but it doesn't help. There's a quick rush of them being at her mother's funeral. They get married, and then they're in a house, and apparently have a daughter. Though we have no idea. This is, again, part of the problem of time slipping away so quickly, is that it's not always clear exactly what happened. For all we knew, Claire already had a daughter. We didn't know who she was. I didn't really catch her name until I watched it the second time because that's Ariel. And I think it's only mentioned kind of once around this point and once towards the end. It's mentioned twice. I was going to say that in case you hadn't written it down yet. Because when I first wrote down her name, I wrote it down as Erin. So I thought her name was Erin. It was hard to hear. And then the second time they mentioned her name, yeah, it's like, it's definitely Ariel. It's like, oh, okay, that's more clear this time. But yeah, I'm guessing she's four years old. I'm guessing it's just like... Another four years have passed. Uh, she's now Olive's age, and the cycle is beginning again, basically. Yeah. And we actually see her because there's a fight as Caden decides to work with another actor before he works with Claire, and she's upset about it. And she basically says, well, we've had Ariel, so they know that we've been together. It's not a secret. But them being together, that means that, what, four years has passed now? I'm guessing she's the same age as, as uh, Olive would Olive. have been. Yeah. Mm. He sees an article in, a, what is it, a magazine at this point that's about Olive being the original tattoo girl and like half her body has been tattooed. Yeah, like the, the youngest tat, full body tattoo in the world. They have another fight. Caden said he has to go to Germany to save Olive. His real daughter. Well, first he says his daughter and then she says, you have another daughter. And he said, yeah, my real daughter, which is awkward. Yeah, to say the least. But this is part of where the play coming in and being so much about his life and him that everything starts to become muddled as to what is reality and what isn't. And in your theory, 
nothing is reality, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm I'm kind of torn. I don't know what to believe at the moment. Like, is it in his head, uh, or or is this, or is some of it real? Yeah, I don't even know if the director knows. And I think this is where the mystery box part comes in. Is he's written a lot of different parts. Maybe hasn't tied them all together. He's just like, oh, I'll let the, aud- the audience figure it out because it's artistic and they can draw their own conclusions from it. And while I appreciate that, well, when we get to the end and we don't get kind of closure, that kind of bugs me. But so far, I'm still invested in this movie and I'm starting to wonder now, yeah, is it all in his head? The plane. The oh, therapist yeah. happens to be on the plane. He's reading her book. He says he doesn't really get the book. She doesn't seem to have any sores on her now. And in fact, she seems to be coming on to him and in the book, he's reading about that. And when he essentially has turned her down or ignored her, we hear her say the end and the book goes blank. I like this scene and I don't like this scene at the same time because it's too, um, I don't know if meta is the right word, but it's too, like what we've been talking about this entire time, it's too forceful, it's too in your face. It, it could have been done a lot more subtly. When she realizes that she's been shut down and he's really not interested, then the book is blank now. It's like that that book is finished. And so you may as well stop reading it because it's it's done. And then at the end of the play as well, when he's like, he gets the cue to die, it's like done, you know? So it's like, it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Does it make sense? <laughs> no, I'm just going to say no and move on. We then see him in a gallery. He can't get the address of Adele. He tries to say he's Adele's husband. And the woman working the counter says, no, I know them. It's like Gunther and Heinz or something. Yeah. And it, so she has two husbands. Somehow he ends up meeting up with Maria with her bad German accent. Yeah. Maria says that she's the one who tattooed Olive. Olive is her muse. The whole thing seems totally ridiculous. I can't stand Maria at this point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's a horrible person. He gets into a fight and... Then we see him in the alley. So this is the part you wanted to talk about. So he, yeah, he's got like the tear substitute things, which again is probably something, I don't know, I'm not an, act, an actor, but I guess some actors can't cry on cue, so they have to have tear substitutes when they're when they're acting. And so that's what he does. And he, again, this part to me is like just screaming out like, is our Caden the real Caden? Is this actually just part of, is, is this part of the soundstage? You know, is this from the very beginning of the film, is Caden actually someone else? Like, are we Caden? Like, even if you want to take it that far, like, or is is Caden actually another character that we've never been introduced to yet? And is all of this part of this huge Mebius strip of just plays within plays within plays within plays? Because, again, he's just acting. It's like he wants to cry, but he can't. And he pulls out this weird bottle. I've got no idea. Um, yeah, it was an interesting scene. In sticking with our themes of time slipping away, during that fight, Caden says that Olive is only four. Maria says she's almost over 11 now, which means she's not over 11 now, but... She's 10. Yeah, just say she's 10. That's still a good six years that seem to have slipped away, and he doesn't seem to understand that time has passed. Yeah. Then on the plane, on the way home, there's an old man sitting next to him who says, death comes faster than you think. Again, that guy looks so familiar. I can't even help you with that guy. We now see... A huge open area with props and set pieces. Caden is walking around telling people how to change their acting. He gives them notes on different ways they should think about it. You're having an affair off camera 
and it's bad. And he just goes through this bit by bit. But then he gets to Claire and his daughter Ariel. She wants to play, and Claire says, Daddy doesn't live with us anymore. And yeah, basically, they're having a real moment, but on set. Yeah. So again, this is where the play and what is presented as reality become completely blurred. Yeah. And very, very awkward. Mm. I like that scene a lot because it's just so big and gigantic. There's so much happening on, on the screen at one time. It's a really nice kind of scene. Caden goes back to the doctor again. He has a weird leg shake. After that, he's at a bus stop and there's an ad for the book Little Winky, or maybe it's the movie version of Little Winky. And he's in the poster? He's in the ad. I don't I, I'm that. so just done with Little Winky. It should never have been part of this movie. Of all the mystery boxes you needed to put in here, this one is got to be the least important, unless it's just something I'm completely missing. Yeah, I have no idea. He bumps into Hazel. She has a new haircut, no longer curly, it's now straight. She's with Derek and her boys. Yeah, and there's three of them. And at that, at that point, I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. This is... What's the point of this? Like, like triplets? Okay. But twins, and then you give me three names, and you say that they're all twins. It's not like, oh, yeah, they're twins, and then their older brother, or their younger brother, whatever. It's just like, this part makes zero sense at all. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's, I don't know what they were trying to do with that, but they certainly managed to baffle me. Ding! Well done. From this point on... He's going to be spying on Hazel, essentially, in a way that Sam has been spying on him. There's a point where he's at a pool, or they're all at a pool, and he sees them, and he's about to jump, but somebody stops him. We go back to Olive's journal. This is where she talks about becoming a woman, and she loves Maria, and she hates Caden. And it's at this point that Caden gets back together with Claire, and there's a part where they're being intimate, and Sam is holding Ariel and they're both kind of watching. That was pretty super creepy, yeah. Even when that's done, I do believe it's meant to be him in silhouette behind the curtain. There's a part where you see a, a man's figure behind the curtain. I wonder if that's his other stand-in, like his, his, the guy playing him in the play, watching him. It could be, but at this point, to be honest, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Caden's father dies. This leads to... Uh, what he said was a regret in his life. And they're at the graveyard. And this part, when I think about it, I just want to throw something. He's talking to his mother at the graveyard as the coffin is about to be lowered. And she says that there was so little left of him, they filled him up with cotton balls to stop him from rattling around. But then they show you the most ridiculously tiny coffin. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> Because he was really tall, and now he's not. I've, that's the only thing that I could bring away from that. I mean, would they even do that? Like, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't do that in real life. There's <laughs> so, no way he shrunk that much. I mean, even if he did, you'd still put a, an adult male in an adult-sized coffin. He wouldn't put them in a in a baby coffin in front of everyone to, like, dishonor them. And this is the part, probably the second part, where I went, is this meant to be a comedy? Because in an absurdist comedy where it was comedy all the way through, that might have worked. But it just totally felt like it missed the mark completely in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. It's, it's it where was... you mentioned earlier that maybe I would have preferred it if Spike Jones had done it, and I think yes, because I think he would have realized if we're going to make comedy, we need to throw a lot more in. Mm. And I think if it had been funny, it could have helped save this movie. But this moment here 
feels completely out of place in a movie that seems to be taking itself too seriously. Mm. Caden calls Hazel's phone from the bathroom, listens to her voicemail message. Then he's sitting in a car outside Hazel's smoking and very fiery house at this point as she and Derek are coming back from somewhere. Caden asks Hazel to tell him what to do. And she says she can't love him now. I'm fine. I'm with Derek. You need to figure it out now. Which is clearly what Caden doesn't want. He wants to be told what to do. He can't. Yeah. We're going to be seeing even more and more as time goes on. We go back to Olive's journal. She talks about being a woman and Maria guiding her as being a woman. Almost to the point where it feels like that next scene with her is not really a surprise. I felt like they were doing it a bit too much. They may as well have just skipped this one. Mm. If well, the, they wanted that to be a surprise. Like the, the stripper part? like the, the, the No, I would say... Uh, sorry, maybe it's two scenes from now. The Her last scene where she reveals that she and Maria were lovers. Right. I'm okay. like, well, I pretty much got that already. And I figured he did too. Because I'm only getting the I'm, information I'm only getting he's what he's getting. got from the diary. And it's like, yeah, it was pretty obvious by then. Yeah. But this is part of where I get completely confused about what's going on here. Because the journal is not up to date. So how is he interpreting reality? You say that he's very unaware of what's going on, and yet he's so aware that his subconscious is creating this actual reality that will be confirmed in a later scene. I don't know if I said that, but I mean, I don't think he's aware. Well, you said all. that she he may not be a good father because he doesn't really ask her questions. Maybe he's never paying attention to her. But he's so hyper-aware that he's making up her reality and it actually becomes true. Yeah, or, or again, or is that just all in his head? Is that his Is that his worst fears kind of come to life? Is he just making it up because his daughter has, everyone has left him and that's his maybe his way of dealing with it? Is that his kind of um, coping mechanism just to say, oh, she became a stripper and she got cancer and she died and she's maybe she's alive, you know? Who knows? I don't know. So you're saying maybe all the other scenes with Olive aren't real? I've got no idea, man. I mean, they, they could be. They could be real. I mean, I think I think there's some we could speak about this, like we've said before. We could talk about this for a long time and go through every single little scene. Um, as far as when I watched it, I just let the kind of movie wash over me. I got the idea that the beginning parts are real, and then as the movie goes on, that's when he just starts to lose his mind and starts to just invent stuff. I mean, this leads directly into him seeing the poster, directly to seeing her in essentially a glass booth where men are paying to see her blow bubbles, I guess. Yeah. Well, naked. Not, not, yeah, not just blow bubbles. I could, yelling, I, I could do that. He's yelling at her, but she seems unable to hear him. And then so he is evicted. Next, we see Caden speaking to the crew. It's now a much bigger open set. There are definitely buildings starting to come in. He says, now I won't tell for anything less than the brutal truth. In fact, it's going to be so brutal and so honest, I'm going to put somebody to play me in this. And here's where another part that I just can't get past. I believe it's Tom who raises his hand and says... When are we going to put this on? It's been 17 years. Yeah, that's one hell of a grunt. What? No one would stick through this for 17 years. It's it's that and it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, there's uh, infinite money from coming in from somewhere. That's the other thing. It can't be. So it's just so 
absurd and so ridiculous, but without being funny, so it doesn't work for me. I don't get it. I mean, maybe these people are just parts of his brain, you know? And then maybe this is one part of his brain saying, hey, man, come on, it's been 17 years. Like, you have to do something, you know? It's part of his mind talking to him, you know? Next, he casts Sam to play himself. And Sam gets the part by saying, I've been following you for 20 years. And basically says things that Caden probably interprets as only he can be thinking. Only he can know these inner thoughts. And if he knows me that well, then he's already got the part. So there he is. And from now on, Sam is a part of the production. And he goes around. And it's almost as though they have two directors now. They have Sam who will give notes. And then Caden disagrees with the notes. And keeps telling Hazel to correct them as he goes. Uh, I mean, she's, yeah, anyway. I like that part, though. I, I like the whole scene where he auditions for it. And he's just like, well, of course you're going to hire me. You know, it's, he's so confident. He's like, there's nobody else that can do this. And, I mean, granted, yeah, he's a, tw- a stalker of, of 20 years. Why he's stalking him, I've got no idea. But um... but here's part that plays into your theory that doesn't really play well otherwise. And the fact that Sam is always the same age. Well, I, I think a lot. That was one thing that I was going to mention later on, especially around this this part of the movie. There's only a few people that get old in this movie, and that's Hazel. Hazel ages, and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman ages. Caden ages, ages, but no one else seems to age in this. Which again, yeah, leads me back to it's all in his mind. And people, maybe the people that he values, I guess, maybe, or the people that are close to him age with him because he sees them properly, I guess. Uh, it's kind of like, this is maybe a really bad parallel to draw, but it might be like something something about, not something about Mary, Jesus. Um, what was the one with Gwyneth Paltrow in the fat suit? Shallow Hal. Shallow Hal. Like Shallow Hal, how everyone sees each other differently. Like they see each other as really thin and beautiful, but someone else sees them as pretty hideous and ugly. Maybe that's Caden. He always just looks at other people and thinks... If they're real, which I kind of don't think they are, because A, they wouldn't stick around for 17 years to finish a play that is just going absolutely nowhere. Agreed. And B, it's nobody would throw keep throwing money at this project uh, unless they were nuts and had a lot of, lot of, lot of money. But no, I like that part where, because he's got this, like we've been talking about, he's very indecisive and he doesn't, he, he needs to be told what to do. But now when Sammy takes his role and is making uh, like kind of calls as a director now Caden has a bit more like kind of authority about him and he's like nah 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 scratch that what I also think it might be is this as we get older we start to realize that we took things too seriously in the past or like we're like, like I hate that like well you know when we're you know when we're young or something like that and we're like oh I can't stand this kind of music I hate those kinds of people I hate this kind of movie but as we get older and we kind of chill out a little bit we're like Ah, it's not actually that bad. I don't mind. I don't mind pop music or yeah, it's getting older, maybe relaxing a little bit. <laughs> I just, I really, I honestly feel you're just putting so much into this movie that isn't really there. Well, I, mean, that's I think what... that you're, you're taking it, as we said before, you're taking it as art and it reminds you of something. It makes you feel something and you're putting a lot more back into this movie than the movie is actually giving you. But I think that's the intention of the movie, though. That's a good point, because I think that this is why this movie was made. I think you've hit the nail on the head right now. Yeah, but that's not what I want. But that's that's fine. I mean, that, but that's what I mean. It's not for everyone, yeah. Um, continue on. 
The world is falling apart. As they're walking home, there are weird clown police putting people onto a Funland bus. I don't remember that part. <laughs> there are tons of homeless in the street. When we get back to the play, Claire is now to play herself, and Sam will play her husband. Sam asks Caden why we, quote, left Adele, and Sam says she is a great artist who stares truth in the face, and he actually gives Caden an address. We see Caden at the gallery looking through the magnifying glasses at the tiny paintings. The paintings he looks at at this point are Adele and Maria, and they're nude. At the address, there's an old woman who asks if he's Ellen Bascom, which makes very little sense at this point. She's to give a key to Ellen Bascom. He says, sure, I am. So now he can get inside. He reads the Ellen notes. Basically, Ellen is supposed to clean up for her, and so he cleans up. Yeah. He takes on this job. He becomes her maid, yeah. The name Ellen becomes very important later. Caden comes home, and there's a bit of an argument because Claire says he smells like mold and cleaning products or like menstruating, which is a very odd... I don't know how those two are related, but he's like, well, I don't have the parts I can't be, basically. It's a very odd conversation. He ends up becoming Ellen. Yes. Essentially, he's told to become Ellen at the end, so he becomes Ellen. There's a painting that may or may not be a representation of him as a woman, who looks very much like Diane Weist, who plays the Ellen character for a while. So there's this whole idea of maybe he should have been Ellen, and it's a very odd, another thread to throw into this. And so just be aware that as we go through, I'll, I'll be pointing out some of these things. That's who she is. It's the woman from Edward Scissorhands. Right. And I, many other things. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, I know her. And She's it, the mother from Lost Boys. Yes, Lost Boys as well. That's right. What did you say her name was? Weast. I thought it was West, like Adam West. Well, there's an I in it. Oh, is there? Oh, okay. All right. Diane. Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. I've been calling her Diane West. <laughs> well, there you go. You're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Claire doesn't like Sam playing her husband. He's too handsy, which he seems to be. Sam requests a hazel for him. So now we've got Caden and Hazel following people playing them in the play. And later on, we're going to see more more and more layers. Yeah. Caden is cleaning again. Adele is leaving ridiculously explicit notes as to what they've done and why things need cleaned. And he's there sniffing the sheets. It's a bit creepy. Yeah. You'll notice that as Adele is reading the notes, we get the voiceover. She's coughing all the time. We'll find out that's because she's sick. Here's where the play starts to get a bit weird, the play within the play, so to speak, because Sam admits while acting as Caden what Caden's been doing, and Claire realizes this is the truth, and so she walks out, and she's going to kick him out of the apartment, and he ends up getting an apartment right next door to hers, and listening in, putting himself in more misery, and then putting the things that are happening in her apartment into the play, But the thing is, she's left, but she continues to be in the play. Do you understand that? Because that baffled me. I thought they were going to get someone else to play her, but instead, she just seems to still be there. Can't say that I thought about it. I I guess I just thought it was kind of the same old theory that I've been sticking with, that some of this might not be real, and he wants her to be there, so she's there. It is at this point in the play that he decides that all the buildings need to be walled in, because seeing them open 
is a lie, but it's also how you would actually see it in a play. Exactly. How are you going to... I mean, if this was going to be like an interactive like walkthrough play where you actually walk through the streets, but if the audience is going to sit... I don't know where the audience is even going to sit to see this. I thought it was going to be the type of thing where it's an experience. They walk through and they see everything. And if you went for that, that could at least be something new, interesting, big. But nothing that we actually get out of this seems to represent that. When we go back to Adele's place, she has fixed up the closet for Ellen so she can sleep there. And Olive's old coat is in there, as well as a more recent journal. He finds out that she's ill. And here is very important scene, though I think it's ridiculous. He goes in to the hospital and talks to Olive. Olive now apparently can only speak German, and she has a translator box. She admits that Maria is her lover. She also says she's dying because of the tattoos. He wants, or sorry, she wants her father, Caden, to beg forgiveness for leaving them for his homosexuality and wanting to be with Eric. That's what she wants. Who's Eric? Okay. Because <laughs> I don't know who Eric is. Or maybe I do, but it's just gone over my head. Who's Eric? I am pretty sure that Eric is actually the husband of the woman who plays Ellen. Okay, I'm with you. So as she becomes Caden and he becomes her, it's almost as though Olive senses this somehow, senses the future, and is mad at him for becoming this other person because he actually becomes Ellen and she becomes him. It's very, very convoluted. Yeah, I I don't know. It's very convoluted, but I think that that's what they were trying to go for because otherwise it makes no sense. And really, should it? It's a complete lie. Exactly. That's the point. And why are you begging for forgiveness for being being gay when she's gay herself? Like, I don't, that's the part that I didn't understand. It's like, why are you asking for your dad to say sorry for something that you're doing too? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And it's all about abandoning when they left him. And that's what he says. But of course she's dying. So he begs forgiveness to try and make her happy. And then she still says no. I know. And that's what makes this scene so crushing is he does everything that she asks. And then in the in the end, she just turns around and slaps him in the face anyway after he's totally humiliated himself. And, and for what? Just like for this lie that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, there's a whole other thing that again that we could discuss for an hour about all of like what happened and about kids and stuff i don't want to really talk about that in too much detail but i mean you know what happens with all of is maybe every father's worst nightmare pretty much um just running away getting tattoos stripping um abandoning forgetting your, your, your dad and stuff but that's a whole other can of worms but i felt really uncomfortable in this scene and i felt i felt terrible for caden but this one feels well acted but it feels out of place almost because it is yeah yeah um and then when he touches her arm and the actual leaf or the petal from her tattoo falls off onto the bed he takes it with him and he does take that with him it's like well that's obviously not real now we see an image of an olive painting but she looks like she's in pain. When we get out into the real world, <laughs> the military 
there are vehicles everywhere. They're all wearing gas masks. Like the world is going a bit crazy now. Caden now walks with a cane. He's much older. He Hazel's older too now in this scene as well. He starts cleaning like this really huge bathroom. I guess it's the one on set. There's now more than one warehouse we see as they look at the map and they have to figure out which warehouse they're going to. So now it's play within a play and warehouses within warehouses, which unless they're using Gallifreyan technology, (laughs) can't possibly happen because there's no way that they fit another warehouse full of another city inside. So because there's not even two warehouses, there are three. There's three. So this has lost all touch with reality. Whether he has or not, certainly I feel like the movie has by this point. This is a part where Caden is following around Sam and saying he's giving way too many notes to the crew. It's too expository. Sam has an actor as Sam acting as Caden. It's getting ridiculous at this point. There's the painting of Ellen. And as I said before, later he we realize this is how Caden sees himself as a woman. There's mention of that. And he says, wow, you look surprisingly exactly how I would have envisioned her. And she's like, well, that's a good thing. And she gets cast. Real Hazel and Sam are flirting. Caden is upset about it. And we end up going to Caden's mother's funeral. Hazel is unavailable, probably because she's out with Sam. So he takes the actress who's playing Hazel instead. It's <laughs> so funny that. I, I, I like that. I did. One thing that I got to say now before I forget is... I think it's really funny throughout the whole movie. Not funny, again, not funny comedy-wise, but just interesting to note that he's obsessed with dying, but he's he outlives everyone in this movie, pretty much. He outlives his own children. Uh, you know, everyone dies, and he's the, the one that's been obsessing over dying this entire movie, and he doesn't die until he's, like, really, really, really old. Like, there's got to be something to be said there, but maybe we'll save that for the end if we come back to it but anyway so yeah the the, the funeral yeah and a normal size coffin this time for his mom at least i guess yeah he's able to be intimate with her probably because she's very confident in herself and because she treats him the way that he needs to be treated which apparently has to do with calling him pretty he comments on the fact that he wishes he were pretty sometimes he wishes he were a woman he thinks that it would be easier and she calls him pretty caden and I think that there's meaning to that. But the weird thing is, there's nothing really about him that makes me think he really wants to be a woman. Yeah. It's almost like he wants something that's impossible. And in his head, that would have made his life better. Agreed. Uh, I didn't even give it a second thought, to be honest, because it's not really presented in a way throughout the movie at all. It's just kind of thrown in there there at the end. Um, Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But this leads into... Another rehearsal where Hazel and Tammy have an argument about what Hazel would do. And we find out that Hazel is actually single now. And he admits that he had sex with the other woman. Did you cry? Just a little bit. (laughs) But before. (laughs) But before, yeah. And here's where we have probably the closest he gets to being really open with someone, perhaps. He says, Hazel, you're part of me. I breathe your name in every exhalation. They kiss, and when they do, Sam commits suicide. Look at me for once. Look at me. Yeah. And this probably ties into exactly what you were saying, because his quote was, you've never looked at anyone but yourself. None of us has much time. And as he falls, Hazel, I love you. 
Oh, is that what he said? I didn't. I didn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> I just it, said like, it was the second time. Ah, I, okay, I can't right. remember, yeah. So then we go to Sam's funeral, and Caden says every person is a lead in their own story, and this becomes important because the scene gets replayed and replayed into the play. Caden and Hazel spend the night together in the burning house. She dies, and as like the fireman or EMT comes in, says. Uh, she died. It's probably smoke inhalation. I, I, come on. Smoke inhalation from like the last 40 years she's been in the place. I don't think it would take that long. <laughs> Again, I don't think that's real. Yeah, that, I, I, that's got to be a metaphor for something. Or It could be a metaphor for smoking, right? Maybe. You're choosing how you die. Okay, yeah. but... But we never see her smoke... In the entire Ever. movie. So, if that's what they're trying to say, they've missed the point I mean, on she, that one. She offers him weed at one point, but that's but we never actually see her put a cigarette in her mouth. She does say, kind of before this, she says the end is built into the beginning. He finds the napkin in the scrapbook from their first date. He listens to her voicemail message again. At this point, Caden has decided that the play will take place one day before the day he dies. Everything in his past in one day. His life in one day. Which ties into your theory. But how would he know it's his last day? I was just about to say that. And I think, if I can just put my two cents in here, isn't this the whole, your life flashing before your eyes when you're on your deathbed kind of thing? Is that not what he means? Uh, it's not this bad. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm really disappointed if my life flashing before my eyes were as bad as this movie. Yeah, well, uh, it is for him. He's had a miserable life. And... Yeah, that, the priest, though, that, the priest thing, I don't understand that part. Like, when they're, rea- when they're reacting the... Okay, let's the get burial. into that. Because Ellen says she wants to play Caden. Because now that Sam is gone, they need somebody else to play. She convinces him to give her the part of Caden by essentially describing what this movie is all about. Time slipping away, it's confusing, lives are always partly in fiction... And that's enough to kind of convince him. Uh, as Caden, there's a point where she's holding a finger with Tammy, which is the character who's playing Hazel. So it's almost like they have a thing going on as well. It gets very confused at this point. She redirects the funeral scene. Whether it's better or not, and whether we need the speech or not, I think the important thing to take away from this is that Caden likes it better. Caden starts to seem to be a bit emotional about this in a way that he hadn't before. He seemed to treat it very matter-of-factly as he did everything else. But she added so much more to it. That's right. Yeah, because she takes, she does direct that scene, doesn't she? Yeah. And it's at this point that Caden's wearing that wig. Matt Damon wig? It certainly <laughs> looks like it. I don't know. It's so weird. I don't know why he's bothering. But he says he's out of ideas, and this is where the person playing him, she tells him, it's okay, I'll direct for a while. You take some time off. I'll just tell you what to do. And she tells him everything. Yeah, she feeds him lines through an earpiece, doesn't she? Yeah. How to use the toilet, when to go cleaning, everything. And he honestly seems to be a bit more content to just let things happen at this point. Yeah. We also see a bit of her life. She is married to Eric, which is what I'm saying. They've switched right. roles. So I think that that is trying to be tied into there. And because he's playing Ellen, he now essentially is the Ellen he always thought he was going to be or wanted to be sure yeah but that adds a whole nother theme yeah. to this that i really don't want to touch well we tried, we don't have time to <laughs> <laughs> then we get a weird flashback that 
Ellen, I'm going to call her Ellen. Ellen describes to him about a picnic with her mother, wanting to have a picnic in the future with her daughter, a daughter that never came. Where is my daughter? Also, he's probably thinking, where is my daughter? We see a note, Adele died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. We're also told that Caden posed for Adele at one point, and this is where we see a flash of that Ellen painting. We hear explosions, gunshots. Caden has to walk all the way down 31 floors of backlot stairs because there's nobody to run the elevator anymore. He wanders around going from the first to the second to the third warehouse, essentially getting on a golf cart at one point and going through. He meets up with a woman and we find out that she played the mother in the flashback or maybe she's meant to have played the mother in the flashback, but it was a long time ago. He's basically told at this point what to do, apologize for saying you look older, ask if you put your head on her shoulder, die. Yeah. End of movie. Yeah. I like that ending. I liked, I liked that ending because... It, like I said, with, with the book earlier, like the book finishes because that's the end of that chapter. This is the end of this chapter. He's basically like, what? Well, he's getting, he's like, I know what to do now. Die. Then he dies. That's it. I liked, I, I like this movie. We've talked a lot about this movie. It's obviously given us a lot to discuss and a lot to think about. Maybe not in the way we're probably not thinking about it in the same way. That's for sure. But it's provoked some kind of thought and some kind of argument between us, which is good. As you said before, Charlie Kaufman said that there wasn't a definite meaning to this. Yeah. And that's a real problem for me. I feel like he could say, I have an idea, but I don't want to tell people what it is. I want them to come up with their own interpretation. I'm okay with that. But if you tell me you don't actually have one, that you didn't have one going into it, then you didn't really have something. You didn't really have a story. And you haven't really given me one. I need more than that when it comes to story. As art, okay, but I don't think it's interesting enough for me, even as art, to make me want to go back. I never would have gone back a second time if I didn't need to take notes for this episode. And I definitely don't plan on watching it again. But it made me feel more confused the second time than it did the first. Is this one that you're going to recommend to people? I, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend this movie to people that like like what we talked about before, like if you like kind of surrealist kind of stuff, like especially I told you before when I watched this, parts of this movie reminded me of excerpts from like a Haruki Murakami novel. You know, it was especially all that part with Olive, the part where he's cleaning the the the, the, the his ex wife's room and she's telling him how awesome she's how awesome her sex is with her husbands and stuff like that and. There's a bit like that in the in the Wind Up Bird Chronicle where he gets this lengthy letter from his estranged wife who's just telling him how much more fun she's having now that she's not with him anymore and she's just giving this... Like what we're talking about in this movie, the brutal, hard, honest truth. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're into this kind of surreal stuff and that kind of those kind of books, I would definitely recommend this. I'm not sure if I would recommend this guy as a director. Though. I mean, I think his writing is definitely good. But like we talked about right at the beginning of this episode, he's too, he himself, maybe that's the whole point. He's too wrapped up in his own work. And unfortunately, one of the faults of the movie is that it shows. And perhaps that's the point. Perhaps he's trying to make something, like like Caden says, something real and honest. It's not the perfect movie, but he's doing his best. Uh, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with that thought, but you know what I mean? Like, 
he, it's not perfect and he knows it's not perfect. And like you said, Spike Jones was offered to do this movie. He turned it down and then he got pulled in as the director. He knows that he wasn't even first choice for this. I don't know if that plays into it, if that's going to be something to do with it. But yeah, I don't know. I would, I would recommend it to people that like this kind of genre. And if you liked his other stuff like Eternal Sunshine or um, Adaptation. Sure. Is it the best movie in the world? No. Well, I liked it. Gaps filled or more gaps created. Absolutely. There's nothing but gaps. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but gaps. <laughs>